Now we come to our reading from Kings. It's taken from the first book of Kings, chapter 8, verses 10 to 30. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned round and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built for my name to be there, but I have chosen David to rule my people Israel. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, who is your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said... My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. A young boy attended church with his father one Sunday morning. Later, before getting into bed that evening, he knelt by his bedside and he prayed, Dear God, We had a good time at church today, but I wish you had been there. When we gather for worship, we anticipate God will be here, that he will meet us in whatever situations we find ourselves in. And this morning, we're thinking about that temple at Jerusalem, a place where God would dwell. God had made it clear to David, who was Solomon's father, that a house built with human hands couldn't contain the creator of the universe. Hand-stained with blood and sin simply can't construct a holy place like that. God cannot be boxed in. 
but he wants to live and he wants to rule in our midst. God wants to meet us and lead us in his ways. He wants his name to be known to his people so that we can call on him at time of need. Well, a generation had passed and Solomon was granted the privilege of building this amazing temple. He had used political influence with Israel's neighbours and he had got the best materials and the most expensive materials brought to Jerusalem for the job. And the completion of this great project, the King Solomon stood before God and the people and he offered a prayer of dedication to this amazing temple, to this house for the Lord. And for the dedication of the temple, they'd brought the Ark of the Covenant to take its place in the most holy part of the temple. In the previous chapters, um, we hear about how Solomon spent seven years building this temple and all of the amazing things that it was made out of. And when it was ready, this Ark of the Covenant, which had been part of residing in the tabernacle, and it was installed in the newly finished temple, in the innermost sanctuary, And as soon as it was put in its place and everything was there, the cloud filled the temple and the glory of God inhabited it. In verses 20 to 21, Solomon says, The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place for the ark in which the covenant of the Lord that he, which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. I have built a temple for the name of the Lord. Solomon had built God's temple and he did it because God had asked him to. And in the passage we heard earlier, we hear his prayer to dedicate that temple. And the first thing I want us to consider is what he says in verse 27, which is, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens and the highest, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. When the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, the point of that was to remind people that God will dwell in the midst of his people. The Ark and the temple were a reminder of God's presence. They weren't God's presence themselves, and I think it's important that we remember that even Solomon, who built this temple, acknowledged that Even the heavens can't contain God, never mind this temple that he's built, however magnificent it is. Solomon's prayer doesn't confine God to the temple. Although the temple is central to Israel's worship for many centuries, it's not essential. When it's destroyed twice, which it is, God is still present with his people. And there was a bit of a danger that this Ark of the Covenant could be seen as like a magic box, a magic access to God. And the problem with that is that it meant people had the potential to either control or limit God. People could think that since they had the ark and since they had the temple, they could they had its presence and therefore they could do whatever they wanted. But the ark and the temple were simply meant as a reminder that God was with them and to be a focal point for worship. But what about this cloud that we read right at the start of what we heard earlier? There was a cloud, and this was a sign of God's presence. It's the same cloud that led the Israelites out of Egypt and protected them against the Egyptian army. It's a cloud that descended on the top of Mount Sinai when God made his covenant with the Israelites and gave them the commandments. The same cloud that settled on the tabernacle, 
that movable sanctuary by which God was present with his people throughout their wilderness wanderings. And God said he would dwell with them. Solomon prayed that God would be with them in that place because people needed to know that he would be close by. And just as God was present with the Israelites hundreds of years earlier, he was present with them then, and he, was, he is present with us now. The same God who brought Israel out of Egypt was now dwelling with them in their land. And this is a change for the Israelites. They were no longer wandering nomads. They were now established in their own land. The land that God had promised to Israel, uh, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they were a nation in their own right, and they had a glorious and wise king. But the presence of this Ark of the Covenant was also a reminder that God would remember his covenant with them. The Ark would symbolise remembering of the covenant. We've spoken about the Ark a few times, um, but we've not actually said what it was or what was in it. Essentially, it was a rectangular box with tablets of stone in. Those tablets were the Ten Commandments. And that reminded people that God would remember his promises and remember the covenant. The covenant uh, at Sinai was still in force, but Solomon spoke to of another covenant in his prayer, the covenant God made with David, that he would establish his line forever. But you know, this temple was really, really significant, and you can't really overstate its importance. In Solomon's prayer, Jerusalem is a city that God has chosen. The temple is a place where God's name, um, God says, my name shall be there. It's a place where heaven meets earth and where God's glory appears. The temple that Solomon built, even after it was destroyed both times, it lived in the imagination of the Israelites. The longing for the temple and for a city in which it stood is the reason that the Western Wall um, is Judaism's holiest site still. So I think it's fair to say that this temple was incredibly important. But let me tell you, let me read you um, verse 56. We obviously didn't get that far. It's a very long uh, chapter, is verse 8. Uh, but 56 says, Blessed be the Lord. He, there has not failed one word of all his good promise. So let me tell you about a man who lived in North Michigan. He went for a walk in a dense forest so immense that he could very easily get lost. When darkness began to settle in, he decided it was time to head home. He was used to being in the woods, and he had a keen sense of direction, so he knew which way to head in. He didn't need to bother looking at his compass. After walking for a long time, he decided that he would check just to check that he is on the right direction. And he was surprised when the compass indicated that he was going west when all the time he thought he was going east. But the man was so sure of his own sense of direction that he was just about to throw away his compass in disgust when this thought came to him. My compass has never lied to me yet. Maybe I should believe it. The man eventually found his way out of the woods and arrived home safely because he trusted his compass and didn't rely on himself. Solomon told the congregation of Israel that not one word of all his good promise had failed. That assurance still stands. What God promises, he performs. His instructions are always trustworthy. He will never lead us astray. If we think so highly of our own judgment that we refuse to rely on God's word, then we're asking for trouble because it will only become more confused. His words have never failed us. 
his words never will. God wouldn't forget his promise to the people. People might forget things, but God doesn't. And the presence of the Ark of the Covenant was a reminder of God's promises. A reminder that God would arise and fight on behalf of the people. It was a reminder that God would remember his covenant. In verse 25, Solomon reads of the people, uh, reminds the people of God's promise to his father David, which says, You shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do uh, to walk before me as you have done. The key there is, if only your sons. How many times through history do we see one person doing something really right and then the people who follow messing it all up? Uh, Blessings turn into curses when people forget God's promises and forget that God is always there. When we neglect to remember the mighty acts of God in the lives of the people who have gone before us, we throw away the name of God and we turn the focus of worship on ourselves. God doesn't live in buildings made of brick and mortar and wooden crosses. God lives in the hearts and the lives of those who follow him. And the challenge for us is to make sure that for generations to come, we will walk in the ways of God and that the people who come after us will do so too. That they will remember God and not merely remember a place that was dedicated to his honour. But the next thing about the temple was that God would hear people's prayers. Throughout the prayer, which is 20, verses 22 to 53 of that whole chapter, Solomon asked God to hear his people. He asks God to hear from heaven. He knows that God isn't contained in the temple, but he knows that God will listen to all of the people's prayers. And it's so important to remember that because otherwise we'd just be talking to ourselves, wouldn't we? But throughout this prayer of dedication, Solomon asked God to do a number of things, mainly to hear from his people, but also to forgive us when we're in difficulty. We didn't read this bit earlier, but verse 43 says, Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as you do your own people Israel, and may may know that this house I have built bears your name. He asks that the foreigner, and by that he means someone who doesn't believe, or in this case it means the Gentiles, um, that they would be able to pray to God and he would hear them too. But more than that, that God would make his name known to the whole world. He would make his name known to the world that he is God. All that happened in the time of Solomon and long before Jesus lived on earth. But you know, in his son Jesus, God would do all of those things. In his son, God would dwell on earth. When Jesus was born, he was referred to as Emmanuel, which means God with us. At the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 20, he says, And surely I will be with you even to the very end of the age. At Pentecost, God sent the Spirit to be our helper. We don't have a temple to remind us that God would dwell with his people, but we don't need it either because we've got the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, God will also remember his covenant. We remember that when we take communion, those familiar words are said, this cup is a new covenant sealed by my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus brings in a new covenant. In Jesus, we are God's people. In Jesus, we can be assured of the promises that God has for us. And through Jesus, he will hear people's prayer. 
John 14:13 says, "You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father." We can be assured that through Jesus God will answer our prayers. God will forgive us when we mess up, and God which we all do from time to time, and God will give us chance after chance. But we're sometimes like those Israelites. We sometimes forget God's promises to us. We forget about that new life that we have in him and the new hope that Jesus gives us. And sometimes we live as though we don't know about it, when really we do. We live as though nothing is different because of Jesus, when actually Jesus brings us a new hope and a new future. And God's promises to hear all of our prayers. I hope you've experienced of God answering your prayers. It might be little things, it might be big things. But there are countless ways in which God answers our prayers day by day. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to witness to other people about the power of God at work in our lives. And through our witness, people might come to know Jesus for themselves. And that's that last bit. In his son, he will make his name known throughout the whole world. He will make his name known wherever people go. And know that God sent his son Jesus to be our saviour. Through God living through us, the world around us might know that he is God. Our hope is not just for us, but our lives should be the testimony to others of our work of God in our lives. It should be a testimony to the people around us, the people we work with, the people that we see every day, our family, our friends, our neighbours, whoever. As, a visible, as visible as a mighty temple covered in gold, all that we do as a church should be such that the whole world might know that God sent his son Jesus. Finally, Karl Barth writes in Dogmatics in Outline that the church runs like a herald to deliver the message. It's not a nail that carries a little house on its back and is so well off in it that only now and then it sticks out its feelers. Where the church is living, it must ask itself whether it's serving this commission or whether it's purpose, it is a purpose in itself. When we feel sometimes like that little boy, that church was fun but could have really been better if God would have been there, we need to invite, we're invited to think about our own lives and see if we're truly living the way that God wants us to with him at the centre of our lives. God wants to live in the temple of our being. God wants to meet us and share our lives with us. May our lives be a living prayer of dedication to him. Amen.